Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. It's your weekly dose of cheap entertainment with a host that has a perverse sense of pleasure. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you way, 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 way pre-recorded from the recording studio built here at my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And on this week's episode that is way, 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 way pre-recorded, we will have an Ask the Pipe Maker segment with uh, Jeff Grasick. And then my guest is uh, Kyle Weiss of PipesMagazine.com. We'll get to catch up with Kyle again. I had so much fun talking to him the first time over the summer that I wanted to catch up with him. And we talk a little, and we talk more about uh, retail and uh, do's and don'ts at brick and mortars and a couple other things. And uh, Kyle's even got an interesting way of rehydrating tobacco. So stay tuned for that. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this way, 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 way pre-recorded episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, before we get too far, remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to enjoy this fine show. And if you would be so kind, we would greatly appreciate iTunes or Apple Podcast ratings and reviews. That would be much appreciated, especially those five-star ones. Really like those. <laughs> uh, you even get yourself read on here. Uh, if you have any, uh, the, the comment section on Pipes Magazine on the radio show page has had problems as of late. So if you've had any problems, go back, check. Hopefully it's fixed by now. You can post them there, or you can also email your comments to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. Uh, also want to remind you, if you're coming through the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Hit me up. Let me know. Weather should be uh, starting to turn as we head into February and March, and then we get to April, and the weather's nice again. So uh, let me know. Reach out to me. I'll be here. All right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn. Or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show with an Ask the Pipe Maker segment with Jeff Grasick of J. Allen Pipes. Jeff, welcome back. Hey there, Brian. How are you? You are one heck of a belligerent person to keep coming back because this one, th- th- this one's going to push you. Are you ready? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I should hang up now. Yeah. Paul asks, uh, I don't want to be provocative or argumentative, but, and we know what that, but, yeah, that but that's means. That's always a good start, but I will be. But... <laughs> I was wondering if Jeff could explain the top one or two reasons that a guy like me who has always smoked higher quality factory-made pipes should spend the extra money and buy a handmade. Thank you for considering, Paul. So, oh. Jeff, I don't know, one or two reasons why your pipes are worth more than a Peterson 
Um, wow. I don't know. I mean, should I should I stretch out and uh, get ready for this answer? <laughs> yeah, right, go ready ahead. Ready for your sales pitch here. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's actually a good question. Uh, first of all, um, no one needs to buy an ultra-high quality pipe. It's it's entirely a luxury purchase. Um, uh, a, a Rolex keeps worse time than a Timex. Yeah. You don't buy a Rolex to keep time. Well, not entirely. No. So with handmade high quality pipes, part of the reason that you're buying and, and let's say let's say that these handmade pipes are, are like the threshold for for really nice quality pipes is let's say 500 bucks you think that's fair brian i would let's say 350 400 is the is the beginning of the artisan handmade segment okay yeah i think that's good so that'll get you into a a a nice sandblast from a a fairly well-established um younger uh pipe maker yeah Uh, young meaning uh, less experienced pipe maker um you can get an exceptionally um high quality pipe for that price and the difference that you're going to experience between that pipe and, let's say, um, a Dunhill or a Castello, like I'm going to use these two big brands because, you know, they're, they're both well-known and their reputations are, are, are solid. Both of them make really good quality pipes for what they make. Um, they and Dunhills and Castellos, I believe, have handmade mouthpieces. Is that true, Brian? Um, could I know be Dunhills hand, are. Could be hand-finished. And finish, maybe. Let's yeah. say um, the difference. The difference uh, is largely in the the time and attention that is put into a pipe by an artisan is naturally going to be higher than what you're getting out of any kind of factory pipe. A factory pipe is on a production line. It's usually, uh, even if it's if it's hand shaped, the amount of time that a an artisan in a factory can spend with a pipe is a lot lower than what an individual uh, artisan working for him or herself is. Now, time does not necessarily translate into quality, but it can, (laughs) especially in good, in in good hands in experienced hands. Time in this show has not translated into quality. It just, (laughs) it's consistency, but yes. So I, I, I say, go ahead. It's consistent quality. Yeah. We haven't said whether it's high or low. High or low, yeah. <laughs> um, and and what, that, what that will translate into for the smoker is you're going to have a piece that's, that is more unique, um, meaning that it's, um, it's more time and attention has been put into selecting the block that the pipe is made from. So if you're getting a billiard, the chances of getting a straight grain billiard uh, or a... Um, whether straight grain or or uh, ring grain sandblast billiard is much much higher than than you, uh, what you're getting from a factory. The sandblast will there will be a lot more attention and time put into the sandblast, so it could be deeper and craggier, more detailed, things like that. But also the mouthpiece. The mouthpiece is such a big part of the overall uh, finished quality of a pipe. That's the only part you're actually in contact with the entire time that you're smoking and. To uh, to a, a a pipe from a hand craft from from a, a, a good quality brand, the mouthpiece quality will be better in almost every case than what you're going to find from a factory. They're just uh, they're the time and attention that is put into them is so much more than with a factory. 
a factory, let's say Dunhill selling a $350 pipe, but it's going through multiple, like several distribution channels. Oh, so it's been a while actual... since you've looked at Dunhill prices, hasn't it? Yeah, apparently, apparently. Yeah, 550 Are they now 100, $150? 550 Ooh. yeah. $550. Five, so let's say you can go to an artisan and get a billiard, that uh, a sandblasted billiard for $200 less than you can get from Dunhill. And it will be in, in many cases, and you have to, you have to trust your own judgment with this. Choose a pipe that you like. It'll it'll probably be better quality. Yeah. All right. So, well, let me say this also. Um, from my years of experience of working with factories that make pipes, factories use a lot of briar and they use every block of briar that they get. An artisan mm -hmm. in particular, like a Jeff Grasick, is much more selective on the blocks of briar that you get. And you may go through and handpick from your double secret uh, briar sources, the exact pieces that you are going to purchase mm -hmm. versus, say, telling them, you know what, send me a pallet full and i will figure out how to use them so the actual, and you're gonna as you said you're gonna use every last one of them yeah and you on mm -hmm. the other hand i i remember one time way back a hundred years ago or so i think you might have been doing a video of your uh, a video tour of your workshop and you showed the two baskets down below your workbench of the oopsie piles of blocks that you threw away yeah yeah, uh, the waste, e even choosing, as, as I do and many other um, artisan pipe makers do, even choosing our own blocks and getting from the highest quality that you get. So as you said, like factories are buying by the pallet, certainly by, uh, in, in some cases, certainly by the bag of, uh, of Briar, they're getting a selection of qualities in there. And it's, it's kind of a grab bag. They're going to get some really good blocks, but their cost per block is a lot lower because they're getting mixed quality pipe makers like me are getting mostly only the highest quality even a sandblast quality briar that i'm getting is it costs a lot more per block than what a factory is getting some of that is due to the quantity that's ordered like i just simply don't order a pallet at a time and if i did i'd probably get a better a better price but a lot of it's due to the quality of the briar that i'm getting it's just yeah. not available to factories because it's so limited and and very few factories are uh, well. I can't, I can't confirm or deny this. I believe Costello's keeping their briar for a couple of years and doing an mm -hmm. aging and you know, a further aging process on it. Uh, you and I have talked about how you've got briar all lined up in their little basket, briar blocks with little air going around them so that mm -hmm. they continue to dry out. Uh, they do. And, and all of mine, like e each block, when it comes in, I'm labeling by the origin and date. So I know where it came from. Yeah. And so that that not only helps me identify problems. So, hey, I, I've, I've had five blocks from five blocks out of 10 from a particular cutter and a particular batch from that cutter that all have major issues. Well, that gives me. Um, you know, something to talk about with the cutter. <laughs> yeah. The next time we, the next time we speak. And I'll, um, and, and I'll just remind everybody that the, that the stem work is about 50% of the time on a handmade pipe. Uh, it can be. Yeah. You know, if, if Jeff learned how to get faster, it might be 35%, but, mm -hmm. but as we said, you know, speed and quality don't always, uh, 
uh, no, correlate. Con- consistency and quality <laughs> don't always correlate. Uh, <laughs> darn it, now I forgot what else I was going to pick on you about. But, oh, well, you got me first <laughs> instead, so... Now, uh, now to to answer or to to return to the question, I don't know that we've necessarily convinced. And I, I and I'm I suppose I'm not really here to try to convince someone that my pipes are better or, or my pipes or artisan pipes are necessarily better or worse, um, uh, or more worthy of collecting than a factory pipe. I, I've always said, and I will uh, always say, I think people ought to smoke uh, smoke whatever they like and they choose to afford. And for some people, that is only high-grade pipes of the highest caliber. And for other people, it's a mix of factory and handmade pipes. And for other people, it's uh, something else. Whatever collection you want, buy the pipes you're attracted to, and and you will you'll be happy with them. Yeah, and much to much to Jeff's chagrin, uh, most of my pipes I buy as estate pipes, and mm-hmm. therefore. You know, you're in a in a Jay Allen range of pipes. You're talking about you know sixty five percent of the cost of a brand new pipe. Sometimes seventy percent for for a nice piece. So, you know, listen, I you know, sorry, Jeff, but I'll tell you right now. If you want to try an a artisan pipe, watch the estate pipe market. Um, watch it from a reputable, reliable retailer of. Mm-hmm pre-owned pipes so that you know exactly what you're getting and you know give it a shot it, yeah there and there's there's one other um issue i think that uh that ought to be brought up you know when when i when i first addressed the question i i brought up the rolex timex example mm-hmm. and pipes are a little bit different than that in that will a um a jay allen smoke better than a costello or a dunhill well that's that is more open to interpretation. It's not so objective yeah. as saying, well, one keep better time than the other one. Um, I will say that um, my customers and a lot of people who buy handmade pipes have an expectation for how a pipe ought to smoke because most of the higher, like the nicer handmade pipes are made in a similar manner uh, in terms of the the airways that are in them. And it's a different way than how factory pipes are made. The airways are generally more open, wider than they would be with a factory. Why factories don't make them wider, I don't know. But uh, generally speaking, if you buy a pipe from me or from uh, um, any any other uh, Danish pipe maker um, who hand makes pipes, the draw will be more open and will smoke differently than you will find with a Dunhill. I think Costellos are a little more open than than what uh, Dunhills are, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I've looked at them. My old Costellos are fairly open, except in the stem. So. Except in the stem. Yeah, and that's part of it. So a lot of people say, well, all I need to do, I'll just get my, my factory pipe in, and I'll open it up. I'm like, well, if you want to fiddle with your pipe, if you want to spend this much money and fiddle with your pipe, go for it. Or you can buy one that right out of the gate is going to smoke the way you want it. Don't fiddle with your pipes, please, uh, unless you know exactly <laughs> what you're doing with them. So mm-hmm. on that note, I will say we uh, we have a future one coming up that's going to talk about air holes in the stems and all that. So keep an eye out for that one. Jeff, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. 
Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us again because I had so much fun talking to you, Kyle, from PipesMagazine.com is uh, Kyle Weiss. Kyle, welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Good day and happy new year to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> or as I've been telling people, um, happier than last year. We're hoping so. It's already starting a little weird, but uh, buckle <laughs> up. Here we go. Yeah, so I wanted to have you back on because, first of all, I just enjoyed hanging out with you and getting to know you, but now I want to get into some other ideas. Um, you spent a good amount of time in a in a, in the tinderbox working in a brick-and-mortar environment, selling pipe tobacco and selling cigars. Um, while, while you're answering the first question, start thinking of this question, but do you have any favorite stories from while you were working at the tinderbox that that you can tell on in public <laughs> both good and bad <laughs> um but also i'm wondering if you know maybe is there some advice that you can give to some of our listeners who maybe haven't had a chance to visit a brick and mortar just some advice on how to how to approach a brick and mortar and uh yeah and then we'll go from there yeah yeah I, uh, I yeah again like you said i had a you know a little bit of a little bit of experience working in in places uh that you know you can actually walk into you don't have to log into and you know it doesn't have electronic carts you, you check out of and you don't have to wonder if you know ups is going to put your cigars or pipe tobacco on the hottest shelf on the top of the truck before it gets to you and cook all the delicious things that you're expecting <laughs> um brick and mortars are um, you know, they were an institution at one point in time and, you know, places that were almost where the everyday man could go and pick up the things that he needed and, you know, possibly get away from the wife and the kids and smoke and uh, how that's transpired into the 21st century modern world of today has been uh, both kind of an interesting story and struggle to me. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to work in one. Um, I think that as far as uh, um, advice that I could give, we'll just kind of start there and I'll, I'll touch on some stories as they start to percolate in my brain a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Stream um, of thought broadcasting. I love it. Yeah, no, so this will, this will work out good. Um, so the, the experience of walking into a, a brick and mortar store, if, if there's listeners that have not had the chance to do that, and it's very possible that there are people that have uh, not done that because they're, they're not as common as they once were. Um, you know, there was, a, you know, time when there was, you know, one almost probably every couple of blocks, depending on where you lived. And now you can go to a major metropolitan area 
and it's harder to find them. Um, you'll, you know, look on your phone or go onto the internet and look up smoke shop and you get 25, 30, 40, 50 results for what are actually head shops, uh, which are kind of more ubiquitous now than a brick and mortar tobacconist and that is the major difference is that a smoke shop really specializes in um you know in in uh other smokables we'll just kind of leave it at that uh that might have a few cigars or rolling tobacco or papers and whatnot whereas a full service tobacconist will have pretty much everything that the tobacco plant has to offer uh you know at your fingertips whether it's cigars you know, or roll your own cigarettes and imported cigarettes and uh, pipe tobacco, most importantly. Um, if you want to find one, the best thing to do is to try and look up tobacconist and and do that first and foremost. Uh, a lot of the search engines are capable of handling that. Um, if you're visiting a new area, I highly recommend that if you're traveling for work or for pleasure and you are a tobacco pipe cigar enthusiasts uh, look these guys up um, it's very important because a lot of them are not if you're if you're running a tobacco business you're probably not a rich man uh, it's yeah. done for the passion and the love of what we do love of the of the the plant that we all smoke from you know the tobacco plant that we all smoke our our, our favorites from and uh, these guys if they're you know worth their salt they they know what they're doing and they love answering questions and they love people coming in and experience the multitude of atmospheres that are provided um, the tinderbox for example was uh, more of a franchise um, it was a very loose franchise there wasn't a lot of rules there was only specific things that you were required by franchise rules to do uh, and products that you had to carry that bore the tinderbox name um, but uh, they still had a crew of people that were knowledgeable about what was in the store and uh, they love talking about it. There's usually places to sit and smoke. You will find and meet other people that are tobacco enthusiasts as well. That have, Some of them have been doing it for six months. Other people that have been doing it for 60 years. You know, they have pipes for sale. They have tools for sale. They have things you can try. There will be samples. And that is just something you can't really get from a web store experience. Yeah, and I'll add in real quick that if you're doing those Google searches and you pull up the Google Street view of the business and the signs in the window say Marlboro, that's probably not the store you want to go to. If the signs in the <laughs> yeah. window say uh, Arturo Fuente, uh, you got a better shot at something in that shop. That is the truth. Um I think that one of the if you're if you're more of a adventurous person that wants to go scope out either the Google Street View, you know, or take a take a hop in the car or rental car if you're traveling and go check out a place. If you're if you're seeing uh, international calling cards and 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 Budweiser faded signs from the mid 1990s <laughs> and bars on the windows and uh, you know and and flashing LED lights that are going to give you a seizure if it's later in the evening. Uh, it's probably not the place that you're going to find uh, the tobacconist shop that, that I worked in or that I'm referring to. Yeah. So how do you how do you suggest somebody that is, you know, the, how do you suggest somebody approach a tobacconist? Do you, you know, just walk in and start nosing around and. Well, I mean, yeah, if you uh, if you want to get really technical about it, the first thing you should probably do when you approach a tobacconist is uh, open the door, because if you uh, <laughs> if you just run into the door and bounce off of it, 
uh, you're probably going to get some weird looks. Um, but yeah, it's as easy as that. You, if you find them, uh, the best, the best place, the best thing to do is to, you know, is to, is to go in the place, you know, you just, you, you walk in and, and start soaking in what's going on. A lot of these tobacconists, uh, most of them are, are, have a lot of history with them. Some of them have been, uh, in that same location, uh, if they haven't moved, uh, you know, or in that business format, uh, for a long time. And you can kind of feel what's going on in there. There's definitely a, uh, an atmosphere, kind of a, an energy that you feel when you go into there. And uh, a lot of it is steeped in history. And, and there's, you know, there's decorations that have gone way back. And they'll have antiques and vintage things that are around, depending on the decor. Some places are a little, little cleaner, a little bit more modern. But uh, take it in. Uh, you know, the, the staff is there to help you. They're, they're supposed, they're supposed to be friendly. Um, you know, they, they should greet you on the way in. You'll probably smell coffee brewing. There might be guys with little cups of brandy and rum around them, depending on what they're smoking. And there'll be, uh, you know, sports on TV, or there could be some music playing in the background and everyone is different. And that's why going to them is important because it not only keeps people in business that are, you know, on the, on the ground level. Um, little small businesses like that, but uh, you know they, they they work hard to pro- provide that for you. Um, you know, just go in with with the full confidence that you don't really need to know anything. Uh, you could again be a brand new to this, never picked up a, a pipe in your life, and those guys should be able to, with a smile, shake your hand and get you started. Or if you've been doing it for five decades. You should be able to uh, go up to them and, and start chatting with them about what you like. If you want to try something different or if there's an old favorite that you haven't had in a while, they should be able to direct you. So I would just say just leave leave all caution and, and hesitation at the door because it's a place of relaxation and you're going to go there and enjoy yourself. Do you have a couple of quick stories that are some of your favorites of uh, customers from the uh, from the Tinderbox days? <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, some of, I have had some wild stories, uh, has gone, it is, it has spanned, spanned the gamut. Um, I think one of my favorites, uh, that I really liked is that there was a, uh, there was a, a guy, I think his name was Joe and, uh, he was a, he was a, I think he was a, a I think he was a world war two vet or something. He was this, he was this crusty son of a bitch. He, uh, he had, he had thick eyebrows and a, and a permanent scowl on his face. And just, I mean, he had that, he had that, I just stepped in dog shit look on his face <laughs> and every other coworker of mine at the tinderbox refused to serve him, not in a bad way, but they were, they were afraid of him. He, he, he would not hold anything back. And I, I'm not afraid of too much myself. And so, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the challenge of getting to know this guy. And I remember when I first started working there, um, you know, he, he liked to, he liked to smoke two things when, when, uh, when I was working there and he liked to smoke these awful, awful cigars called Avantis. And I don't even want to disparage them, but if anybody knows what Avanti is, it's, uh, it has this, it's this sweet, acrid, um, anise, uh, infused cigar. Uh, and it, it looks like, it looks like a rolled up cat turd. They're, they're not the most pleasant things in the world, but on the pipe end of it, he would smoke midnight, which was a, uh, a lane rebranded lane, um, tobacco that Tinderbox carried. It was very, very dark, very vanilla, very Cavendish. And, uh, he would always, he would always want, uh, an exact amount of them. He always wanted five ounces of it, not four, not six, not two, five. <laughs> And he would watch that scale like a hawk. We had an old, old balance scale that had, you know, a little lead weight that you would 
just slide up and down the you know the the scale depending on on how much uh, you were putting in the in the hopper and he would watch it from the other side and if you were but a hair off of there one way or the other he would let you know <laughs> and i i would laugh all the time and uh, if it was dead on i would look at him and i'd put probably maybe about a eighth of an ounce on there and watch it and i turn around and look at him and he was like you're gonna piss me off son and i would start laughing and i could see there was a sparkle in his eye when he when i would do that because he knew that i was i was screwing with him a little bit and i think that that it's it's people like that that i got to know that were not always uh you know the easiest customers to deal with i reveled in um building a relationship with them i think they were important because he was not the one that was making the store a ton of money but he provided that personality that would come into the store <laughs> that I enjoyed. And there were guys who would breeze in and out of there in five minutes, grab their cigars, they grab their Perdomos, they grab their Rocky Patels, and they would leave. And I would talk to them for maybe 30 seconds enough to get their credit card run. But guys like you know Joe, his his daughter would drop him off because he couldn't drive anymore. And, uh, you know, when he, I would see him pull up, I would sometimes, you know, if I was busy and I knew I didn't have time for him, I would get exactly five ounces poured out for him and he would trust me. He knew that I would give him exactly what he wanted and he didn't question it. If anybody else did that, he'd start raising hell. But the fact <laughs> that I was able to was able to serve him and just would tell him, you know, Joe, I, I would love to chat with you today, but I've got a lot of customers and he would understand. And building those kind of relationships was really important. That's probably one of, one of my favorite interactions that I had with people there. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, more, uh, more stories with Kyle. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jeremy Reeves head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with uh, Pipes Magazine's own Kyle Weiss. Um, Kyle, any, uh, I guess, you know, besides the, any don'ts that you, that you can think of off the top of your head that, you know, when you walk into a brick and mortar, just don't do it. There's not too many. Um, I don't, I think because of the demographic of people that you and I are speaking to uh, right now, I don't think that uh, there would be too many things. Uh, a lot of, we get, we would get a lot of people assuming that our, uh, our brick and mortar tobacconist store uh, was a head shop. You know, and they would be in there, you know, you could kind of tell by the look on their face that it was not the store that they were expecting. There's no blown glass 
pipes. There's no screens. There's no, uh, you know, things for smoking other other vegetable matter that uh, that is out there. Um, and I, I don't think that that would be the one thing that I would say is don't go into a, a tobacconist and give them give them hell for not having uh things that are not directed towards the kind of smoking that are going in there but i really don't think that that's going to be an issue for anybody listening to this um i think that you know if you're if you're a respectful person uh you know you're not uh uh you know you're not treating the customers uh, the other your fellow clientele in there the tobacconist or the management that works there um in an inappropriate way like you're not just going in there for free stuff uh, you're not hanging out in there for, you know, eight hours, basically, and only buying a, you know, a, a you know, a four dollar little pouch of loose tobacco or something. Um, you know, I would say that that would be a good place to start. But every place is different. Some yeah. some places are OK with that. Some places don't mind if, you know, you don't if you want to go treat it like a hangout and other places are are, are not as uh um, set up for that so really it's just it all depends on the environment you go into i just say awareness be be aware and kind of cognizant of what you're doing when you go into these places and you know go with the flow of traffic when you're when you're there and uh, you'll have a good time because that's what it's all about and, and we're gonna we're gonna shift gears now because before we started recording you and i were talking about uh uh, tobaccos during the time of the year. The last time you were on was in August. This is uh, January. Slightly different weather. Flies. Yeah. Uh, so you have you and I both have. Uh, we both like different types of tobaccos depending on what the season is. Yes, that's uh, that is something that I have uh, uh, harped on about you know probably ever since i really started feeling like i was getting my my uh, sea legs if you want to use that term with tobacco um when i first started smoking you know for the first year or so i was just you know i was going hog wild trying to figure out what i liked and was almost kind of chasing chasing ghosts uh, at, at some point not not those kind of ghosts not pipe ghosts well it could be um <laughs> Because I was trying to figure out what I wanted, and, and I wanted to figure out why I wanted them or why it tasted good. And when I started realizing that there were so many variables, you know, of, of why a tobacco would taste good, and even why suddenly a tobacco that used to taste good would no longer taste good. And I found that season for me was a really big deal with that. And not a lot of people uh, that I that I talked to anyway uh, shared that uh, opinion. So when I was talking with you about it before we started recording, I was... Um, you know, I was, you know, like I said, kind of validated, kind of, uh, kind of <laughs> yeah. happy that there was somebody else out there that didn't think I was a madman. Um, I like uh, smoking. It's kind of like I was mentioning to you. Uh, the, I like, I like the the longer and brighter the days are, the longer and brighter my tobacco is. The you know, the darker and you know, and and uh, and longer the nights are, the more rich and and uh, and spirited and uh, and pungent the tobaccos are. So in the winter time, you know, dark fires, um, uh, Latakia, uh, anything that's real that has a deep, deep flavor to it, I really like. And then if it's in the height of summer, you know, I'm I'm grabbing you know red Virginias and and you know bright yellows and uh, for those you know the the good the good straight Virginia smokes all day long. I'm not as much of a fan of Perique as you are, yeah. but I do have that. I share that with you. I like the I like the lighter stuff in the summer and the heavier stuff in the winter. So we may be the only two that are crazy that way, but that's okay. I'm happy. We we can be crazy together. That's okay. Yeah. With me. 
Yeah, see, that's why you're back on the show. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're two lunatics in the same asylum. Um, no. Now, and you also said, and we didn't get into this, but you have a process that you use for rehydrating tobacco, and I want you to tell everybody what your secret is. Oh, well, that's fair. Uh, maybe a little bit of context uh, for that. Um, I, where you live in the Carolinas has a much higher humidity uh, than where I live in the great state of Nevada. And um, I, there's been more often times than not I've left a tin of tobacco, one that I particularly like and forgotten about someplace. And, uh, you know, it's gotten, you know, dry as cornflakes. Yeah. And uh, when I was working at the tinderbox, uh, we had these little little buttons, little hydration coins that had a piece of some kind of porous stone in it. And it was wrapped in a little aluminum casing. And it was mostly for keeping cigars hydrated. And I tried using them with pipe tobacco to see if I could bring it back. And it, it, it worked to some degree. Um, but I have a, I have a, a, a almost cost-free, effective way of doing uh, tobacco rehydration for pipe tobacco. You take a business card that is not glossed or laminated, standard business card, so you can steal one from your dentist's office next time you're there, and you take exactly one square of toilet paper, any toilet paper, you fold the, to the business card in half, you take the square of toilet paper, and you fold it in half as many times as you can. You run it under a little bit of water, that piece of toilet paper, and then you squeeze as much water as you can out of it without, you know, you know, busting a blood vessel in your finger. So you want to have a little bit of moisture in there. You put that little piece of soaked toilet paper in that folded business card, folded the little business card you folded in half, and then you put it in the tin of tobacco, put the lid on it, and then put a put a uh, Ziploc bag around there. You wait for about 12 hours, and it will get that that pipe tobacco back to probably about i'd say about 12 to 15 percent humidity which most uh, to my knowledge most pipe tobacco is and you won't have that cornflake situation it won't rescue it back to its 100 percent original glory but it'll get it back to about 80 percent of what you're expecting in flavor country so uh, it's better than uh, throwing it out or you know giving it to somebody that you don't like <laughs> <laughs> I, I was sitting there thinking, are we talking two ply or three ply? And then I was like, wait a second, that's that's important stuff. Um, now, but you so you will agree that it doesn't it doesn't bring the tobacco back to what it should have been originally. It just makes it it, it brings it back to at least smokable. Think of it this way. When you get food at a restaurant and you eat it right then and there, and as best as it can be coming off of the, you know, the, the, the chef's line and off of the plate as you're eating it, you take it home in a doggy bag and you, you know, you either eat it cold the next day or you try and, you know, heat it back up in the toaster oven and it's close, but it's not the exact yeah. same thing, but it's still, it's still plenty acceptable. You will, you will, you'll be happier than you would be if you threw it in the trash. And the number that you're talking about is not relative humidity. You're, you're, that 12% or so is actual moisture by that content. Is the, that is product humidity. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. I, I, and I may be mistaken with this because I'm certainly, I mean, a tobacconist or not, I'm not an expert in all things, and I'll admit that up front. Um, but I, it, was, it was to my knowledge that most pipe tobacco so ranges in between about 10 to 15% um, uh, actual uh, product humidity, not relative ambient atmospheric humidity. And that is, those are two different things. And I, and I'm guessing you're not using some fancy measuring device. You're probably just using your finger and to feel if it 
feels right? Yeah, that's a that's a guessing game. Um, I mean, if if anybody has been around their tobacco long enough, uh, you know, it's that you can kind of feel it when it's when it when it's uh, a little bit too moist or when it's a little bit too dry. You can hear it. You obviously can taste it when you smoke it because the burning quality will be significantly different. Um, but uh, you know, if you if you feel it and it's got that nice you know, soft sponginess where it's, where it feels dry on the outside. If it feels wet on the outside or if it's cool to the touch, that might mean it's a little bit too overhumidified. But if you're hearing any breaking or any snapping or crispiness at all, it might be a little bit on the dry side. Um, but to, there's this magic right down the middle number that, that pipe tobacco likes to keep. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll know it uh, when you, when you, when you're around it. And I, and I think we talked about this the first time you were on, but the, you know the the moisture you know the 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 moisture level of the tobacco will affect the way it smokes and it will affect the way it tastes and it will affect the way it performs for you that's true um it's uh like we were discussing as well we were talking about our different neck of the woods that we that we haunt okay. in this great country um smoking a bowl of the exact same tobacco out of the exact same pipe in a place like Reno, which has about 15% relative humidity on any given day versus, you know, the Carolinas where you're running about what, about 60, 70%, like just average. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to taste significantly different. It's going to burn different. I mean, I wouldn't say it was going to taste significantly different, but if you're real familiar with one tobacco that is your absolute favorite that you go to, you know, every single day and you smoke it in a different location with changing absolutely nothing else except for your location, you're going to notice some differences. Yeah. And you've also got the other thing of altitude, too, because... That's I, true. I'm at 700 feet above sea level, and you guys would call that a very deep hole in the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> 700 feet at sea level uh, doesn't exist for me. Uh, you know, within like a 300 mile radius, I think Sacramento would probably be the the closest area where you start to get into the those kind of altitudes. Because I'm sitting at about uh, 5,000 feet above sea level here. So uh, yeah, the uh, I'm sure that the uh, um, atmospheric pressure probably has something to do with it too. I mean, there's there's probably somebody that's done some some egghead mathematical study about any of this stuff, but uh, I just know that there's something different. I'm not that educated of a man. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't want those really smart people on this show anyway, because I can't talk to them. I don't know how to I don't know how to talk to them. I mean, you're, you're dumbing you're dumbing down your conversation to talk with me and i appreciate that no 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 you use big <laughs> words in your writing so i'm trying to bring it up uh, yeah just so that i just, just so that i don't sound too stupid uh, <laughs> speaking of your writing what are you working on what's coming up any sneak previews uh, well, um, I'm, I'm not sure when this is going to air, uh, but uh, at least at the time of this recording, I am uh, tackling a, a, a curious uh, a project of my own uh, where Kevin wanted me to uh, do a little a little review on Peterson's release, the Elizabethan mixture, the old Dunhill uh, standby that uh, when they decided to uh, bow out of the tobacco game, uh, that they would be uh peterson would be taken over with their name on it and i did not have a very good experience with elizabethan mixture some years back and uh, felt it would be a uh, a good way to uh, jump into the new year is to actually kind of open my mind a little bit about something that i had written off and uh, my adventures therein so you're you're going you're going back after a dog that gave you a good fight 
Yeah, that one, uh, that one and I did not uh, get along too well. And uh, I wanted to revisit it to find out if it was something that I did wrong or if uh, or if it was just a, a bad breed. And uh, you'll have to you'll have to go and check out my my review as it gets published. And and then uh, I guess finally, um, so we were also talking about music and you brought up this lo-fi thing, which I'm not going to play here on the show because it sounds like it's more like background music. But this might be interesting for other for listeners that when they're sitting outside with their pipe or sitting around with their pipe, uh, might be some, uh, you know, pipe and a book and maybe some of this lo-fi. If you can just tell us what the heck that is. Yeah, well, lo-fi, man, man, we really are framing this and coming back full circle. Lo-fi was something that I, I used to play quite a bit when I was in the tinderbox because it was a um, it was a genre type, a style of music that would be very it was suitable for the environment there um, for for all ages and generations of smokers. And I appreciate it because lo-fi takes a lot of cues from um, it's a very, very slow, mellow paced uh, hip hop style. Uh, it doesn't normally have any bars or lyrics in it where, um, you know, you're, you're listening to uh, any poetry that's been, that's been thrown down by somebody. Um, but it has a very kind of an urban feel to it, but it's uh, got takes from uh, jazz. Um, it sometimes can have uh, electronic beat, very slow and mellow behind it. Um, there's some sampling that can be uh, taken from it that has kind of a, a you know, almost taken from the sixties and seventies from uh, some of the, some of the slower uh, music and beat styles for there. Um, and it's uh, just pretty enjoyable. It was something that I found was good smoking music, good reading and smoking music, if that's the kind of thing that uh, you're into. Uh, and it went pretty well at the Tinderbox. It didn't get didn't get any complaints from anybody. It uh, touched uh, touched all walks of life, and uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, so it sounds like just good stuff that you can have in the background, and you know, pick up your I you know, pick I'm up your copy nerd. of. I, I love I love music and and I think that uh, music is a great way to kind of frame your your mindset uh, you know and that can be anything but uh, you know if you're in a relaxation mode uh, you got to have something that fits fits the bill. Yeah, and I like music when I'm when I'm reading. I like it in the background. I like stuff without lyrics, you know, instrumental music because then it doesn't distract me from what I'm reading. So sure, th- this might be kind of fun. Uh, and I then, say go for it. Check it out. Yeah, and and I'm not going to torture you with the fast five final questions. No, thank God. I'm going to come up with a couple new ones. Oh, boy. And I didn't give you any warning about this. No, you did not. Thanks, Brian. You're welcome. Here it goes. Uh, What pipe have you seen of late that is absolutely making you drool? What is the what what is the pipe the that you've had that you have uh, pipe envy love with right now? So I think. Uh, speaking of Peterson, I think that if I wasn't mistaken, uh, they they came out with a new uh, pub series. Somebody would have to correct me on that because I'm not up on my on my uh, newest and best pipes. But there was a kind of a honey blonde, uh, almost a military stem style. I couldn't tell you what pipe, what shape number it was from Peterson, uh, but it was a real simple design and had a real smart design to it. I like Peterson pipes anyway, um, but uh, there was there was one in there I think from the from there from the uh, this pub series that I think that that they were calling it uh, that had me uh, real curious to start checking out one of our purveyors of pipes. <laughs> and what tobacco of the past would you like to be able to get your hands on again 
maybe one that's out of production or you know just something that you can't find anymore that one i can answer really easily um since my mind has been in this peterson takeover of some of the old dunhill brands uh, one of my favorite tobaccos on the face of the planet is uh, what was dunhill's early morning pipe and i had the honor of uh, actually getting a couple of old uh, murray's production tins um, before they went to stg uh, of uh, early morning pipe and uh, that is some that is some tasty stuff. Uh, even with some age on it, it it just uh, it really it really did it for me. And I wish that 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 one, especially the Murray's production of uh, of the of the early morning pipe, I would love to be able to get on the regular again. So if anybody wants to make Kyle exceptionally happy, his address is no. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you can don't send it to me. I won't I won't smoke it because it's got that nasty Latakia stuff in it. Latakia. <laughs> yes, which is actually the name of the town, so um, yeah, may as well. But you could reach out to uh, Kyle through pipesmagazine.com. Kyle, thanks, you know, thanks for coming on and doing this. I, I hope we can do this on a, uh, on a semi-regular, somewhat annual, bi-monthly, quarterly basis. Hey, as long as you're willing to tolerate me and people are willing to listen to me, I mean, they already read my drivel on the, uh, on the reviews page. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you, and we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And of course, every one of you reads everything that Kyle writes on Pipes Magazine, right? Okay, for music, we go to uh, composer, pianist, conductor Igor Stravinsky. And uh, early on, a pipe smoker in his life and uh, also has a, a bit of a Disney connection. Uh, but this one that we're, uh, this one that we're playing is uh, Igor Stravinsky conducting the Firebird, which I think is kind of uh, apropos for uh, sitting and talking to Kyle.
Igor Stravinsky conducting the Firebird, and I think, you know, I, I honestly think I've been, uh, because of my son's wedding that would have happened a couple days ago now, uh, I think I'm in a, been in a classical music mood, kind of, uh, I don't know, a little heavier. Anyway, there you go, Igor Stravinsky, the Firebird. You've got some mail. And if you have a comment or question, you can email them directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. If you're uh, thinking of traveling at all and you want some advice for free and maybe a little bit of insight and direction, just, you know, reach out to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. I can't book trips for you anymore, but I can help, you know, I'm happy to help you, happy to advise you. Hope we get back to traveling again soon. Boy, that would be good. Uh, anyway, uh, one last uh, one thing that's been lingering in my inbox for a while, and I've had some discussions about it, kind of hit or miss, but I want to address it directly. And this is from uh, Dr. Marco Ulm of uh, Germany, I'm assuming. Yes. And uh, Marco wrote to me about uh, back in back in April, so sorry, Marco, that I'm finally getting around to answering this on the radio or on the show. Uh, He says, hello, Brian. First of all, I'd like to thank you very much for all the effort you put into the Pipes Magazine radio show. I think it's a fantastic format, and I follow your advice to sit back and fire up a bowl every week, smoking a bowl of great tobacco, and listening to you and your guests is a treat and extremely relaxing. I'm glad. And you live in Germany, so I'm glad you I'm glad the language isn't a barrier. Uh, but then he writes, but I'm writing I'm not just writing to thank you. I also have a suggestion. One of your most interesting guests in my opinion was Fred Hanna, whose book is again in my humble opinion the best pipe book out there. What fascinated what fascinated me most when reading it was the part about baking tobacco. At first, I sort of dismissed the idea, but I kept thinking about it whenever a Virginia tobacco had some rather rough edges. Eventually, I tried it myself, and I must say it produces some fantastic results. I'm even toying with the idea of setting up a website and a YouTube account dedicated to baking tobacco. So far, the only thing that prevented me from doing so was lack of time. I'm sure I'll do it eventually. So, here's my suggestions. Actually, it's two. If you have experience in this, I'd like to get your take on this in the pipe parts segment. And two, have Fred Hanna on again and discuss the topic in more depth. I'd be grateful if you took up either one of these options or float the idea in pipe parts, and if people seem interested, try and get Mr. Hanna on again. Anyway, even if you don't, I'm sure I'll enjoy your future episodes. All my best, all the way from Germany, Marco. Marco, thank you. Um, and let me, let, again, the, the book is by Fred Hanna. It's called the perfect smoke and it's available on Kindle now only. So if you don't have it, you can get it on Kindle or all those E things. Um, I do have experience and, and I talked to Fred again about this and I think we, Fred and I, well, after talking to Fred, you know, we've kind of agreed that I, that, you know, we covered it fairly well of what he does and, the tin baking is simply a way of speeding up the aging process. And remember a couple, you know, remember back to the discussion with Mike McNeil about how some of his tobaccos that he bought would go through all these long summer sweats in the barns here in the Carolinas. 
Well, that's the same process of heating the tobacco up and exposing it to heat and moisture. Same thing happens when you bake the tin in the oven. I personally, instead of baking the tin, I just like a sunny, uh, a bright sunny window in a glass jar or a bright sunny window in the tin as long as the tin has room to allow the tobacco to breathe, as long as there's air in it. So like the flat rounds that seal airtight, not good. The Cornell and Deal style tin, fine, perfect. All you're doing is you're exposing the tobacco to some heat, which is causing it to speed age or age faster than normal. And again, I use, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking a tobacco that I want to goof around with and I want to, you know, tweak and modify, I'll take a glass jar and put and fill it halfway full of the tobacco and leave it sitting in a bright sunny window for a day or two, sometimes three. And you'll see the tobacco get all sweaty inside when the sun is beating on it. Even in the cold of winter, like, like we're in now, no problem. So try that. Hope that uh, hope that answers. Anybody else have any uh, any experience? Email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com and I'll uh, get it here on the show. And remember, next week back to uh, regular non pre recorded shows. So, in just a moment, rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. of wearing a mask yeah wearing a mask and you know as we all should be doing we're wearing our masks and keeping our nose and mouths covered while we're out uh but wearing a mask and working in retail here are a couple of benefits primarily for us pipe smokers well i can i can sit and puff on my pipe and smoke my virginia perique and be drinking coffee and not have to worry because the minute i'm done doing that and i put my mask on well, it's really hard to smell my <laughs> smell my breath. And when you're working in a retail environment like I am, I might be concerned about my breath and how some, you know, little kids might uh, be offended by it or adults might be offended by it. I don't have to worry about that. I also don't have to worry, you know, and this is uh, might be a little nasty, but I don't have to worry if the coffee and the tobacco are staining my teeth right now because... I can smile as big as I want with that mask on and nobody has a clue what's going on. Uh, nobody has a clue that there might be stain on there. Uh, working in a retail environment, you can have the mask on and you don't have to worry about if you got some food stuck in your teeth from, you know, being out and eating lunch or something. 
Also working like I have been, you don't have to worry about whether or not you really did shave real close, you know, that, that goatee portion. You don't have to worry about that. So you don't have to worry about rounding your chin. You don't have to worry about the little bit around the lips and especially that little pesky stuff right up by the uh, right up by your nostrils. Well, you don't have to worry about that because the mask is covering all of that up. So we as uh, pipe smokers, you know what? We can smoke our pipes, go into a place with a mask on and not have to worry about our breath. All right, there you go. Uh, listen, keep the uh, comments and questions coming. Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Ratings and reviews, keep those coming. Thank you very much to Jeff for joining me. Thank you to Kyle. And thank you all for tuning in. Until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Okay, now let's hug the zombies. Let's all make up. Wow. <laughs>